You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Let's stand as we hear the reading of God's Word because we believe that we are standing on the solid rock of God's Word. And I want you to know, each and every one of you here today, we believe that this is the Word of the Lord, that it speaks to us the truths that we need. And the things that will change your life won't necessarily come from my mind and heart, I'm telling you, but they will come from the Word of God. And as we go to Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the first gospel, we hear this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And as he said, So come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, it would be perfectly fine to end right there, but I don't want to end quite there. I want to read one more little paragraph to you because I want you to see that in that day, with all these amazing miracles, there were skeptics. There were those who didn't believe. Now, notice this. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of the resurrection, but we also thank you, Lord, for the reminder that in this world we have to believe. It takes faith. Even when we've seen amazing things, Lord, we need the gift of faith. So share that gift of faith in this room with us today that we may hear the gospel and believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My wife and I now live about five hours from where we grew up. Our parents still live there, and we don't get home as often as we would like. Uh, Believe it or not, chasing after Baptists here at Ridgecrest is pretty much a full-time job. (laughs) So we don't get home as much as we would like to, but when I do, I like to take a little, about a mile and a half, two-mile journey out Pell Road. It's actually Pell Cemetery Road, and that's exactly where I'm going. I'm going to Pell Cemetery. I go there usually by myself. And I just sit there for a little while and meditate over my grandparents' graves, remembering great times and celebrating their lives. I go there in that little cemetery surrounded by the fields and forests that I used to romp around in as a child. I go there out of respect, and I go there to remember. 
Now, I want you to look here in the text and think with me what's going on here. It's early Sunday morning. The weekend activities have been, well, very tumultuous. It had been a very crazy weekend and a very sad one. Friday, of course, Jesus, the man that these women who we read about here in Matthew 28, Jesus, their Lord and Savior, had been crucified. He had been put on a Roman cross and killed in the most terrible fashion. So for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people, Sunday was not like our Sunday. Uh, a day of rest is kind of how we uh, are supposed to be treating it, I guess. Uh, rarely do we, it seems. But nonetheless, in that day, Sunday was the first day of the week. So all the jokes were not about Monday, they were about Sunday. You know, having to go to work on Sunday. And so it was early in the morning and they were going uh, to the tomb because they wanted to go and just reflect for a while, kind of like I do when I go to Pell Cemetery they wanted to go to Jesus' tomb out of respect and to remember. But what they ran into when they went to the graveyard, as it were, when they walked up to the tomb, they received something that they didn't expect. When I go to the cemetery to just remember, to reflect, and to be respectful, I don't expect it to be anything more than a quiet experience. Usually I'm the only one there, and maybe I can hear the rumble of a tractor off in the field. Maybe I'll hear a car go by on the street. But other than that, it's just me and my thoughts. And I would assume that those who went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday were expecting not much more than that. But when they showed up, they found out that things were completely and forever changed. I want you to know that as it comes to this day of Easter... It is a wonderful day. I think it's the most important day in the Christian calendar because it is focused on not just the atoning work of Christ on the cross, but the fact that Jesus has defeated death forever. This is why we sing. This is why we have joy, Christians, is because we believe that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the grave. But I know how it is. I realize that in our world today, it is a busy world. There are many distractions, many things that we do. And I realize that we all have choices to make. When we come to church on a day like today, many times we are coming to remember, to remember our heritage. Many of us were raised in the church and we remember those days of worship. Some of us come on a day like today out of respect because we respect our parents and our grandparents and their faith. But what I'm hoping is that you will have an experience today that is very similar to what these women experienced here in Matthew 28. They show up at something to just remember and be respectful and God shows up and changes everything. You see, that's the way God works. We're going about our business. We think we have our lives lined out and in order. And then God shows up and does an amazing thing. I believe that God wants to do an amazing thing through each one of you. I do not believe that you have come here today. And I don't want to liken it to coming to a, a, a graveyard. I don't want you to think that you came here today and that we're just holding on to some ancient traditions that sooner or later will go away. Listen, the Christian message has been faithfully proclaimed for 2,000 years and it will continue to be proclaimed until Jesus comes back because it's true. 
It changes people. It transforms us and turns us into something completely different. The resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he is alive, should change everything about your world. If Jesus is alive and you are a professing believer, it should change your world. But for many of us, we just are living in our world. And we get caught up in the day-to-day. And all of it's not bad. Our jobs, careers, school, family, all these things are good, but not ultimate. Because those things don't have the capacity to give you the answer for that dark character that's always looming in our lives. We try to push him out as far as we can, but we know that death is a reality. We know that we have the grave that we must compete with in this life. And nothing that we have in this world provides an answer to death. One scholar puts it this way, there's no point defending and explaining God's new world if you are still living in the old world yourself. And what we want to tell you is that old world is the world of self-sufficiency. It's the world of doing things our own way. But I want to challenge you that God's way is better still. You have been saved by grace. If you are here today and you say that you have received Jesus in your heart, I want you to know that this should be transforming you and changing you. None of us are perfect at any point in this life, but we should be growing When we are saved by grace, we should more and more become a trophy of a visible resurrection. That's a quote from an early church father as he talked about a story. He told a story about a young man who had had been raised in the church and had went away for a season. Later in his life, he came back to faith and lived for Jesus until his martyrdom. Now, that story, at the end of it, This church father says that this man, though he had strayed from the Lord from a long time and had lived a life that was not for God, at the end of his life, he became a visible trophy. As I was thinking about that story this morning, I'm reminded of our attic. And in our attic are a lot of trophies from my soccer days and basketball days. Not so much basketball. I was a little too short for that. I was pretty good at soccer, but basketball wasn't too good. But nonetheless, like many of you, I have some trophies, and they're in a box in the attic, probably at my mother's house, and they are gathering dust. And I just want you to know that if you have Jesus in your heart, I believe you are a trophy for God, but I'm hoping today we can kick off some of the dust. I'm praying that we can all make a commitment today to allow the power of the resurrection to fill us and to move us, and it all begins at the empty tomb. Here in this text, we are told that the women arrive at the, at the tomb. And as the women arrive at the tomb, they knew where it was because they had watched as Joseph of Arimathea, and, and we also know that uh, Nicodemus was there too, had buried Jesus. And the women were standing off from afar, chapter 27, the very last verse, the last verses of that chapter tell us. So they knew where to go, and they were watching that, and so they show up and they realize that the tomb is empty. Right there, there was the hint of the supernatural, but the mind uh, automatically starts trying to make up uh, other meanings. I read to you those last few verses because when we are faced with the supernatural power of Jesus, there are some people who are going to try to explain it away. Some people are going to say, well, the resurrection of Jesus didn't really happen. It was just a metaphor. But I'm here to tell you, 
My heart needs more than metaphors. My heart needs meaning. My heart needs meaning and so does yours. We need more meaning in this world than illustrations and metaphors can provide us. Jesus as a metaphor of life and hope is not enough. We need to know that he is alive. You see, I believe the resurrection of Jesus gives meaning to our lives. Paul goes as far to say that if we do not have the resurrection of Jesus, our faith is foolish and we are to be pitied among all people in the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. So, is Easter important? Yes. If this doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, well, Paul is calling us uh, silly. But he doesn't believe we're silly, brothers and sisters, because he, believe it's, he believes it's more than a metaphor. He believes it is the very meaning of life. And Matthew wants us to see that as well. In verses 1 through 10 alone, the word see occurs five different times in, in terms of the eyes visibly being able to see what's going on. When we're reading Matthew 28, we are reading a chapter in a book talking about miracles. But even miracles, if we have our eyes open, can be seen. Let me challenge you with this. Just because you've never seen something before doesn't mean that it can't be seen. Skepticism is a good thing. We need to ask questions. Anybody that watches a commercial needs to ask questions. Yesterday, in fact, I, I should have asked more questions. We went to Dairy Queen, and I do not know why, but the sign had this wonderful pink-looking shake, and my wife says, you're going to regret that. That looks nasty. And I was like, no, it has sprinkles, and I deserve sprinkles, I think. I... It was nasty. It was terrible. She said, you're going to have a bellyache. She's a prophetess. But nonetheless, be skeptical at Dairy Queen. Be skeptical of that sign. It is not true, kids. Don't go for it. Just get vanilla. It's just fine, okay? But nonetheless, just because you haven't seen something before doesn't mean it can't be seen. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that Jesus in his resurrected form was seen by the disciples and many others. He says at one time, 500 different people saw Jesus at one setting. And he says many of them are still alive. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is alive. Amen. The history of the church, the history of the growth of the church in those early years shows that the tomb is empty. Now, let's look back at verse 1. They came, the women did, to pay respects and to remember, as we've said. But what they found was a sight unlike anything they had ever seen. Of course, we are told the earth shook. We are told an angel appeared. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. These are all pretty amazing sights to see in a graveyard. The women saw this. They saw the guards laying face down and an angel's bright light shining as white as, as snow and as lightning. This is not what they were looking for when they came to the tomb that morning. They expected to see a closed tomb, but it was empty. And all these things are happening. Now, it's important to note that angels are not in Matthew's gospel uh, very much. In fact, the last time we saw angels in Matthew's gospel was in the birth narratives. And here we have angels at the end of the story. Now, let me just say this. Angels are messengers from God. 
they provide clarity for us when we're facing things that are truly supernatural. The incarnation of Jesus is an amazing miracle. What it's telling us is, is that God became flesh and dwelt among us. So we needed a little help from angels. Here at the end, a man who was crucified on a cross is now alive. We need to hear from some angels. We need to know that he is not stolen. He is alive. He has risen up. In fact, if you'll notice there in verse 6, we have what is known as a divine passive in the grammar, which just means uh, it's something God did. He is risen. In other words, God rose him up. Verse 6 is saying that God rose him up. So if we want to ask where the power comes from, it comes from God. But I would also put it this way, death is strong, but Jesus is stronger. I am here today because of the empty tomb. I am proclaiming to you these truths because Jesus is alive. I am here today because I believe, though it is appointed and a man wants to die and then comes the judgment, when we have Jesus in our hearts, we have a power stronger than death. Death does not get to have the last word if Jesus is in your heart. This is why we preach. This is why we sing This is the best part of what we are and who we are. You see, the new age of the risen Christ has begun. The first people who saw this, interestingly enough, were women. Now, I want to just pause for a moment and say this. In the first century culture, women, if you think women have experienced oppression in our day, which they have, in those days it was egregious and terrible. But here's what we begin to see happen. Here in the kingdom of God, Jesus is showing that the witness of these women is just as important as the witness of any man. In this new age, what we're seeing is is all the class distinctions, all the distinctions of gender and those things that divide us, that we like to fight about. If we have Christ in our hearts, he will break down the walls. Church, here we are. We are not here to build walls. We're here to break them down. With the power of Jesus. The one who rolled the stone away will knock down some of the walls that divide us. The empty tomb opens the door for God's love to flow into the world and to go to every soul. Let me show you one more thing in verse 7. I was raised in a small town. If you'll notice in verse 7, there's a mention here that the angel says, go to Galilee and there you'll meet him. Now this is important because Galilee was um, kind of the the, the more woodsy, uh, backwater Uh, Johnny used the word redneck earlier. I don't know if that's a good term, offensive or not. Sorry. Um, Just quoting Johnny, so blame Johnny. Um, But, you know, I come from, from I guess, a a redneck kind of place. Not New York, Chicago, L.A., not some fancy place. Notice this, that God sent... God sent this angel and sent his people out in the countryside to proclaim, listen, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your station or status in life is. Jesus is for you. There are no limits here. Jesus is for you. Every soul, every soul needs to know that they can experience resurrection life. And let me say, resurrection life means human life is valuable. We believe that every single person in this world is valuable to God. We will fight hard for life here in Springfield and around the world. We treasure the hurting. We treasure the vulnerable. 
We will go to the hardest places to help the most hurting souls because we believe that the resurrection tells us that our bodies matter. Every soul has a body, and we love people, body and soul. Jesus offers grace and peace to the outcast. He loves you no matter where you've been standing. He loves you with all his heart. He is alive. Let's talk for just a moment now about the living Jesus. The living Jesus. He's not in the tomb. He is alive. So what does it look like when Jesus gets hold of us? Well, let me show you three things here that we see in verses 8 through 10. Let me just lay it out very quickly. First, you feel the need to move quickly and get the good news out. Let me just say this. If the resurrected Christ is in your heart and you have not felt the impulse to tell anybody about it, then you are not taking stock of how big a deal it is to be saved in Jesus' name. We need to realize that when we have truly received the gift of the gospel, we want to move quickly and get the good news out. Secondly, we will be filled with awe, A-W-E, of what God has done. In other words, Christians are amazed by God. We are most enamored with the things that God has done. And then third, we will be filled with a joy that is out of this world, heavenly joy. Now let me just ask this question. When was the last time you felt like this? That you felt like you needed to share, you needed to get out quickly and share the gospel. When was the last time that you felt the presence of God and were in awe of what he has done? When was the last time that you were filled with spiritual joy because of what Jesus has done? You see, that's what it means to be a Christian filled with the living Jesus. I believe the women didn't expect this angelic presence this Easter morning, this first Easter morning. We can count on that. But they certainly weren't ready for what happens next. Not only did they experience the angel from heaven, they experienced Jesus himself. Look there in verse 9. It is almost comical because if you look here, I'll read what it says. Greetings sounds like a Hallmark card. This is a guy who just died. And his first word comes straight out of Kansas City's Hallmark offices. Greetings. It's even more funny and powerful in a sense when you read it in the original language because basically he uses the most casual word in the language for, well, hello. It's just kind of like, hello. You know, you think this is the resurrected Christ. He's filled with power and lightning is kind of shining and, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. And he says, hello. Here's the point. Yes, he is the resurrected Lord, but this is still Jesus who laughed with these ladies and his disciples, who loved people well, who was a man of joy, who was a man. He is physically present. Notice what it says here. It says that they took hold of his feet. There's physicality here. There is a body here. They come to Jesus. They fall at his feet and they're holding him. This is not a spiritual body. Listen, you can't hug a metaphor, but you can hug the man. And Jesus is the man. Resurrection, identity, the same person. This is important. This is Jesus who was on the cross, his body nailed to a cross, 
Now this same body bearing the scars of crucifixion is there in their presence. And some people say, how can that be? Well, one, I will say it is a miracle. But let me just, I don't want to get too deep in the woods here, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know this exactly, but I've read a little bit, and here's the deal. According to biochemistry, you're quite a miracle too. Did you know that in about a seven-year period, every single cell in you completely changes out? And yet in seven years, you may be like me and a little more gray-headed, but it'll still be you. Now, in terms of physical, the physical, everything's changed, and yet in another way, nothing has changed. Because there's something in you, there's something eternal in you, there's something, an essence in you. Uh, Some people call it a soul, but we want to be careful there because that's what the Greeks said. There's something more going on here. Your body, who you are, when you were created by God, you were made to be forever. And the only way that you can be forever is to be sin-free. And the only way you can be sin-free is to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And this is where the miracle gets wild because you and I can share in that resurrection life. We can live forever. So the women were able to worship Jesus with their hearts while holding on to his feet. And that shows us that our worship has both a spiritual and a physical dimension when it comes to Jesus. Because there is something spiritual about us. We all know that there's more beyond. We all know that we have to worship in spirit and truth. Even people who claim that they don't believe in God will often find themselves thinking about the world beyond this world. Our hearts are just aimed in that direction. In fact, let me tell you what resurrection life is. You see, the Greek idea was that when we died We lost this body and we became this wonderful spirit soul. Jesus says something completely different. Jesus says that we will not lose this soul, this body. He says, in fact, in fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:3 that we will not be unclothed. In other words, taking off the body, he says we will be more fully clothed. What he means is, is that the resurrection body is better. You see, Jesus doesn't take anything from us, he makes us more than what we were. Jesus isn't going to take anything away from you in your death. He's going to put on his resurrection life over you. That is how you live forever. Now, Jesus is talking to the women, and he says, do not be afraid. Now, you know, those those words are often said by Jesus and by the angels because guess what? When you run into something like this, a miracle like this, your first thought is fear. It's going to shake you up. Honestly, one of the things I'm praying for is more of us will get shook up. We're living in this world, and we're doing the things of this world, and spiritual things seem to be things we push off to the periphery. But I'm saying to you, I believe that God wants to shake us up. I believe that God wants to do something big, and it takes something radical, and something radical like the resurrection. Notice Jesus says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 10, I believe that Jesus offers you something beautiful, something radical, something scary good, and we need to be excited about it. To those of you who are members of Ridgecrest, let me just say this. There is never anything wrong with getting excited about worship. No matter how excited we are in worship, though, we cannot fail to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. We worship and then we practice our faith. If we believe in the resurrection, we want to worship with joy, but we want to serve with joy. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in this world that we forget the basics. We forget to obey 
The living Jesus is cause for worship and cause for action. A living Jesus gives us a living faith, bringing life to those who are dead in sin. So let me say this again. If we go to the tomb and see that it is empty, if we believe that Jesus is alive, that should cause us to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth and then obey his commandments. His commandment here was simple. Go to Galilee and get the boys together and we're going to have a little meeting. That was, that was the command. But though that's small, they were faithful in it. So we worship and we obey. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Let me say one more thing here. Death and sin. Death and sin, they are the most unnatural things. For many years, I studied death and dying and this resurrection theology. I, I think this is the, the core of the gospel, the answer to death. Sometimes we'll say to ourselves that death is a natural thing. That is exactly opposite of what the scriptures say. Death is an invader. Let me tell you what's natural. Natural is life and righteousness. The resurrection of Christ turns things back the way they were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. The resurrection of Christ gives us the ability to walk with God for the rest of our days. And that just leaves us with a choice to make. The women were witnesses to these happenings. But as I showed you in verses 11 through 15, not everybody was on board. The Jewish leaders knew all that had happened. So notice this. Verse 11 says all. There was no doubt that these men saw what they saw and heard what they heard. They knew what had happened, that Jesus was risen from the grave by God the Father. But I want you to know, even though the chief priest received this truth, the truth did not set their hearts free. Not everybody who hears the truth of Jesus finds freedom in Jesus. When confronted with an empty tomb and a living Christ, everyone must make a choice. And we see in this passage that the choice that's made here is not just skepticism, but it is truly a desire to suppress the truth. One of the things that the Christian church and the Christian faith never has to be afraid of is the truth. We must speak the truth in love, and we must never be afraid to speak the truth. But I want you to know this. The world will see it different. And notice this. The disciples at this point are running in fear, living as cowards. But they will soon be the most courageous witnesses. Uh, is that a word? Witnesses? That sounded weird. I'm from western Kentucky. Every once in a while it comes out, brothers and sisters. I can't help it. They became the most powerful witnesses, that sounds better, for the kingdom of God. So here's the deal. If you have lost your way for a season, you are in good company. The disciples needed that first Easter to go from cowards to courageous. And this Easter and every other Easter we celebrate is an opportunity for those of us in the church who have got dust on our trophies, who have grown a little bit lax in our living for the Lord. We can be rejuvenated because Jesus is alive. The choice you have is to follow Jesus. I think this world needs to be turned upside down. I want to be a radical Christ follower because I believe the pain and suffering in this world can only be cured by the power of God. And the power of God is most clearly expressed in the resurrection of Jesus. 
in the original language of the New Testament. The word resurrection is two words actually mushed together, a compound word. The first part of it is basically up, and the second part is basically stand. So the resurrection of Jesus is to stand or rise up. That's what the word resurrection means. And in this instance, what we're talking about is Jesus, who was laid low in the grave, got up. I know there are many of us here today who came to be respectful, who came to remember family traditions. But God may have brought you here today so that you can stand up again. It is time to stand up for Jesus, to rise up and be a part of the redeemed church. The world needs changing, and only children of Jesus, children of the resurrection, can do it. There are others here who have yet to believe in Jesus, and I just want to say, don't let death have the last word in your life. If you don't have Jesus, death gets the last word. Your words are done your eternity is over. But when you have Jesus in your heart, he defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15 also tells us that he defeated death. The last enemy to be defeated is death. And if you will believe in Jesus, though you will die in a physical sense, you will live forever because of the power of the resurrection. We believe this. We believe this today because he is risen. And when we trust in Jesus, whether we've been a Christ follower, many of you have had professions of faith for years. Some of you have never made a profession of faith. But today, you need to cry out to Christ and believe in him and believe that he is risen because this is the only way that we can know a love like no other. I want you to know that love. As I pray and as we conclude, we'll have a short season where you can come forward and talk to one of our pastors. This is an opportunity. You don't have to do it now. You can do it later as we're out in the hallway. If that makes me late for the second service, we'll manage. We want to talk to you about our risen Lord and Savior because we love Jesus. And we think that if you'll receive him, you'll find this love like no other. We know that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.